This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined, as always, with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get started here in just a minute. Before we do that, you can go to practicalshepherding.com. You can access all of our resources there. You can go to the contact page and reach out to us if we can help you in some way. Uh, please reach out and, and let us know if there's a way we can be uh, helpful to you. You can access books and podcasts and all kinds of stuff there as well. You can also uh, go to the donate page and leave a financial gift if this has been helpful or if our ministry has been helpful in some way to you. We, we want to dive right into topic, and, and here's the topic um, that we would like to, to tackle, and that is how does a pastor of a local church think through getting involved in other ministries maybe outside of his of his local church. So here's a couple scenarios, Jim, I want to paint, and then we'll go to the text to look at. Hmm. One scenario is a pastor who uh, has been faithful in his church for seven years, eight years, ten years maybe, hmm. and as a result of his faithful ministries, fruitful ministry in his local church, he's starting to get asked to be a part of some other ministries or maybe other opportunities for ministry outside of his church that's coming as a result of his faithful ministry in his mm-hmm. local church. and he's But he's worried that's going to be a distraction to his primary ministry of his local church, so he's hesitant to do it or not even sure he should. Mm. The other scenario is the the guy that <clears throat> aspires to just have kind of that kind of ministry. Mm-hmm. Really doesn't, isn't really want to be his sole ministry of local church. It's almost a means to an end. So no. he goes to pastor a church, but the first opportunity he gets... He wants to hit the conference circuit. Right. He wants to be a part of this ministry. He wants to go do this. He wants right. to serve on this board or whatever it is. And he's never really shown to be committed to his local church. It was a means to an end to get to other ministry he wanted to do. Right. So those are the two most common scenarios I see when we're having this conversation. And so wherever you fall on that spectrum, just, just know that we're going to try to hit both of those things. Textually, Jim, where do we want to go to just try to kind of begin to shape this conversation? Well, I think we have to begin, Brian, with a sense of you know, that if we have a calling, we have a job to do, and it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. Uh, we are called by Christ through the Apostle Peter to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, we are going to give a stewardship to the souls entrusted to us. That's going to be the primary uh, issue. Uh, we're to preach the word uh, with the knowledge that one day we're going to stand before the God who's going to judge the living and the dead uh, You know, at his appearing, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. And so there is this sense of stewardship, the sense of calling, the sense of responsibility, uh, Paul talks about uh, in Acts chapter 20, both in his exhortation to the Ephesian elders as well as in his own personal testimony. He lived with a sense of accountability and calling. He talks about uh, you know, he, that he's innocent of the blood of all men, uh, that, that he had a particular group of people that he had in mind. He said, because I did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. He had a good conscience, he was gonna be, but he knew he was going to stand before the Lord and give an account. So I think that we have to ensure whatever else we are we are doing that we do what we know that we're called to do. There are other things we may be able to do, and this is really the, the, what we're getting into, but we can never be, and we're jumping ahead perhaps, never at the expense of what we're called to do. But yeah. I think we need to recognize, even as you study uh, the lives of the Apostle Paul, you study uh, the lives of, uh, of, of believers through the centuries that God has used, how God providentially opens up something for them to be able to do more than what they had initially thought their ministry would be. 
And so you have, you know, Paul saying in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. And, and he, is, he is recognizing, how did that happen? I don't think that that was direct revelation. There's no indication that he had another Damascus Road experience, but he interpreted providence that God was opening up a door. He calls it, in First Corinthians 16, he speaks of a great and effectual door of ministry has been opened to us. And again, you get the idea. The Lord's opened it up. There's a, there's a new area to go to, a new avenue, uh, new churches being planted, new design, you know, people coming and saying, can you come over here? And he interprets that as, I have an I, I have a responsibility and accountability as God is opening that up to me. So, mm-hmm. I think sometimes in our ministries we we stop and we look and we recognize and realize God is opening a door for me that hadn't been opened previously, and I think that it's right for me either to investigate that door or go through that door mm-hmm. with a good conscience because I really believe the Lord is opening that. Yeah, that's really good. And I think about it, I mean, we're none of us are aspiring to be have some kind of apostolic ministry, but but Paul modeled what it I mean, his ministry as an apostle, as right. the other apostles did. You know, he he had a ministry to where he wasn't just working in one local church. He was doing a work that was trying to build the churches around the world, build the kingdom, and mm-hmm. obviously had a very unique role as an apostle in that. But there is a bit of at least an example of that God can call someone to do a certain work for a time in this place or go here or maybe go many places at once right. because he has a specific role. And, of course, nobody would, would you know, challenge the the unique calling that the Apostle Paul had to right. do what he was doing. But I do think that there is a, a helpful a kind of a paradigm in a way uh, for for the modern day that there are ministry callings in local churches there, there are also ministry call, you know, missionary callings that, that mm. doing more of the pioneer, cutting edge missionary work. But then there's also uh, m- m- genuine ministry callings that that are not tied to one church, but are are working with many churches and, and many different ministries. And that that right. actually is a legit call, even though in the first century, when the early church is being built, we don't see a ton of that. Obviously, there's. There's no seminaries, you know. There's there's no there parish church ministries. There, there were some podcasts, though. That, I think uh, there well, were. they were, but that's a different podcast <laughs> conversation. So, yeah. So I think we have to uh, we have to realize that um, that this is a reality now, though. And a lot of guys are trying to to figure out wh- what's my role in this. So mm. before we get into some of the details, I'd like for us to just take a moment. This might be a good time, I think, for you and I both to share just briefly. Uh, a bit of biography around this in our own lives. Yeah. So, because both of us uh, served as, as local church pastors for a long time, you still do, mm-hmm. uh, and both of us have also been involved with other ministries outside of our of our yeah. church to some degree. And of course, that's what I do full time now, serving with Practical Shepherding. So, I think it might help set the context of the sure. conversation. Let's share a little bit about how your your journey to get to that place where you were. You had the opportunity. You were. How did you sort through making that decision, and then how did you step into that? Like just a short version of that. Yeah, I, I think so, Brian. So, I mean, when I when I came, I started. I was twenty seven years old, pastoring the church here in Louisville uh, back in nineteen ninety. Uh, I had no 
no sense of, of that I was going to be anything other than pastoring this flock. And I, I and at that time, I would have had a sense that probably it was going to be a relatively small flock. And by some standards, it is, you know, but I, I, I never thought I would be able to do many of the things that have been opened up for me to do. And uh, so it started with uh, our little uh, circle of churches. Uh, it's a, you know, that was fairly closely connected at that time. This is 30, 30 plus years ago. There's so many more confessional churches and Reformed Baptist guys now. I don't even know who they are anymore. But uh, but I had gotten to be known a little bit through somebody would hear you preach, and so they'd invite you to go to preach um, and maybe just go preach over a weekend or then eventually led to conference ministries. Uh, and again, this is relatively for, I mean, all of this is small potatoes, you know, comparatively speaking. But would you come to a family conference? Would you come to a women's conference? Would you come to a men's conference? Would you come to a young people's conference? Uh, can you come and do a couple of weeks here uh, of something? Uh, and that eventually led uh, to being involved in uh, seminary training in Zambia, which started in uh, 2007. But prior to that, I had been invited to do some seminary training in China, uh, eventually led to uh, some ministry, conference ministry in Malaysia and Singapore, uh, and and then recently, Brian, a door being opened up through my relationship with a seminary uh, based in, in the USA, uh, but I'm part of their Latin American division, so I've been teaching courses in uh, pastoral theology. I, I, I taught it in this past year. I've taught it in Cuba. I've taught it in Brazil, and then I'm heading to Ecuador uh, in a few weeks, and I'll be I'll be teaching it there. So uh, I can remember Brian, especially uh, the week I was going to Cuba. Maybe it was even as I was heading out the door. I thought to myself, "What in the world?" Uh, you know, has my life that that uh, this little guy who got converted, he was fourteen in upstate New York, uh, and I'm going to be I'm going to be traveling over to Cuba of all places mm-hmm. and and yeah. preaching in churches and training Cuban pastors in pastoral theology. I thought, "What is my life that I I was brought to a place like that?" It was really kind of a a marvelous sense of reflecting on God's grace and providence. And if you de- and if it can't get any better than that, you also sit here as the president oh, well, of practical shepherding as we sit here as Brian, we prepare yeah. <laughs> to celebrate 15 years of our ministry existing. You you have been such an integral part of of this and given a ton of just time and effort and resource to this ministry, well, th- I, well and, and, yeah. and so oh, we were kidding here, but yes, but that, yeah, that so I mean, it, but yeah, even, this is a whole nother, and I should have said that, you know. In fact, I, this is probably, in many ways, if I'm known to any degree, I'm, I'm known now primarily because of you and and, and working with with practical shepherding and a door has been open to to help mentor other pastors and yeah. uh, make phone calls to guys and emails to guys or mentoring guys uh, both mm-hmm. here in the area uh, and. Uh, in, in other parts of the country as a result of this. So. And, and I've known you long enough to know that all these opportunities, you're a good example of what we're talking about in that you poured in and were faithful as a local church pastor with the commitment to just be a local church pastor. That's just really what you are and what you've always wanted to be. And these opportunities came as a result of just being fruitful in that. So how, can you give a quick word on how did you begin to process these invitations 
because some are like hope you know hoping and praying the invitations come and some fight against it some kind of push against it. I'm not sure I'm ready for this. I'm not sure if this is going to be a distraction. What was your initial reaction as you started getting? Now, granted, in your in your just sphere of churches, yeah. as you said, these these this conference set up the family conferences and things you were talking about, it was a big part of the culture of this yeah. denominational structure, like it is in other denominations, yeah. in different ways. But nonetheless, how did you process those initial invitations? Were you excited about having them? Yeah, I think I was. Okay. I, you know, I was kind of uh, again humbled by it, uh, particularly you know when I, I realized when I was getting I was getting opportunities to go overseas, to go to England or Scotland or Ireland and places like that. You always kind of dreamed of going, uh, and and you know so there was a a sense of honor and privilege yeah. and excitement. Uh, I what I had to deal with, and maybe we'll talk about this more later again, is is balancing this out because yeah. there have been seasons of life and and certain years where there have been an unusual amount of opportunities, and that has meant being away from the flock. And this so two thousand. Uh, the the first part of this year, 2023, was yeah. that way. I felt I was gone way too much. Yeah. Uh, I had I had made several commitments, and some of the, it's just the timing of them worked out and kind of you know came came together. But it meant being gone. Uh, something like, like the month of May, I was here for one Sunday, and mm-hmm. and I didn't like that. And there was a whole reason for not all of that was ministry. Uh, but again, I, I'd been in Brazil, I'd been in in, in Cuba, I'd been in New York, uh, I'd been out to Seattle, and and some of those kinds of things. And 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 the flock here is very good. They're very kind and saying we're glad we can share you. We want to share you. Want you to be a blessing. But they also let it be known. We miss you. We want you here. We want to make sure that yeah. you're not neglecting us. Yeah. You were gone more in the last six months. Those first six months, I think, than I've ever seen you yeah. gone. And so you're right. It was kind of got ratcheted up in that way. Let me first. Let me go to a little ball for myself on this, and then we're going to get into just how to think through this. But uh, I, you know, I went to to Auburndale. Many, many listeners know what happened in my early years and all the craziness that happened and firing attempts. Uh, but I went. Really feeling like I mean I'm just I'm called to be a local church pastor uh, I and that's what I was for a long time and focused on and and even when the early years of practice shepherding which came out of a you know just training my guys for the for, at the church for ministry you know the the first book that came just really out of you know stuff I was working with them on uh, but then we started to want to open the conversation and we heard you know a blog's the best way to do that so. I started a blog not knowing what a blog was. So like just this is back in the day where all that was happening. But in those early years, I have to say, I, I felt a, a conflicted because to, to do any of these things, I had people asking me to do them, develop this a little bit more. And I, I spent years pushing against it because it felt like it was a distraction. Now, granted, I had to be all in in those early years with yeah. all the craziness that was sure. going on. And that that was part of it. I think we I was just so overwhelmed by what was happening and I didn't have bandwidth for anything else, right. but I also felt like it was going to take away from. I had felt a commitment. I was a committed local church guy, you know, made to be a pastor. This is just what I'm supposed to do with my right. life. And so I remember spending years fighting against this. The other reason I fought against it is I was being asked to do things I didn't feel gifted to do. So I'm the getting asked to write more, and I knew that I knew I wasn't gifted at writing. I, mm. That's not a false humility. That I knew I didn't have a gift to write. Right. And so I'm being asked to do things I didn't feel gifted to do or equipped right. to do. So I would say the first several years, 
as per, the early years that in, that what became practical shepherding, I pushed against it. But I remember the time where I I actually had some friends of mine that came to me and, and really pushed me to go. You need to pray about whether what God wants to maybe do with this. And I remember mm. I went away and prayed and asked God to for a, a bigger vision or just to understand what what is He want me to do with this and. I came and the Lord really met me in that, and I came back from that with a totally different mindset. And that's Jim, if you remember, that's when we kind of went all in. We launched this as an official ministry. That's when you became the president of Practical Shepherding. That's when we formed a board and became a five hundred one c three nonprofit, and everything just kind of went going from there. But it that was about four or five years lead up. Uh, I really fought against it up to that point, and and I remember feeling a conflict of am I gonna. Am I going to um, not steward well this aspect of my ministry at the local church level if I if I get into all these other things? Once that happened, I really saw the benefit of of going into the scene, feeling God's call, and I kind of went full into it at that point, and then pastored the church into practical shepherding for the next you know decade after that, uh, and to the eventually led to the point where I felt God was opening a door, right. calling me to do this yeah. full time, and I actually walked stopped uh, pastoring the local church. That was my that was my journey in all of this, and so I, I wanted to just I wanted to be able to give some context to the listener for both of us, because both of us have experienced this. Both of us had to wrestle through this. Yeah, I, I would say both came out of God blessing local church ministry. Yeah. We, neither one of us kind of went looking for exactly. an outside we ministry right, right, there. Right. So having said that, here's what I want to say. I want to state a principle that I have come to realize, and then I want us to kind of flesh it out okay. on how pastors can kind of try to think through this in their own life. I believe now that your first five to seven, even 10 years of local church ministry really should be just focused solely on your local church ministry there and all the things going on there. So I'm going to – sorry to interrupt, Brian. Good. You're talking about primarily a young man? Yeah, so you, you go to so your this first is church. your first church, not, not, your, first not church. your second church or third Correct. church. Okay. First church, you spend five, seven years. It's hard grinding work, but the Lord right. is blessing it. And you start getting a few invitations to do this or to do that. It's maybe not a speaking thing. It's it's the local. It's a it's a a board a ministry that has their board of directors. They want you to join it, or yeah, right. you know the the pro life organization in your community wants you to be a part of the board or whatever. And about five seven years in, um, you start getting some of these invitations. How do you how do you sort through those things? I believe that what I usually say is that five to first five to seven years really need to be poured into your local church ministry. One, to just establish your ministry. Two, to become the pastor in an undistracted way. It takes years, mm-hmm. not months, in that local church. And it takes enough time to see the, the fruit. It takes time to develop even the leaderships in your own church to eventually give you the capacity maybe to go do some of these other things. Yeah. I w- the other piece to this is I would say, I think if you hit... 10, 15 years of local church ministry in the same church. I think you should be involved in other ministries by that time Hmm. for the benefit of those ministries. But I have a theory, and this is what we can hash up, but I have have a a theory that the pastor of a local church that's involved in other ministries 10, 15, 20 years after being in his church actually enhances his ministry in the local church. Mm. Now, that might sound like a contradiction because, wait a minute, this is taking time away. This is distracting you from right. being able to do more. But I believe from a from a person, just ministry development side, serving and helping other ministries, 
you know, gives you a perspective, a wisdom, a way to learn about what you're doing in a way that, that carries over back into your local church. Mm. And so, anyways, we can hash that out. But I, I think the first years need to be dedicated, you know, with, with maybe a few exceptions, to really pour in and invest and get established in your ministry. But I do think a local church pastor benefits his own church I agree. by being involved. So let's flesh yeah. that out. Yeah. Let's first talk about why would it be important for a pastor to invest those early years in his local church with few distractions. Yeah, well, I think for himself and for the flock, I, I, I think that that we need to be content again that that is our primary calling. It may be our exclusive calling. It may be that for some who are listening to this, that no other door is ever, nobody's going to ask you to write an article, nobody's ever going to ask you to sit on a board or whatever, and, and to know that I can face the Lord with a good conscience having just poured my life into them. Yeah. I think that we need to, if, if that's our calling, our calling is to shepherd the flock, then we need to show and demonstrate to the flock and to ourselves, this is why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for them. I'm not doing this to build a brand. I'm not doing this to build a name. I'm not doing this to get a .com out there or yeah. .net, yeah. .org with my own name on it. You've got to check your motives. you got to check your motives and realize yeah. that this flock's not a stepping stone for me. They're not a pedestal for me they're not uh, the means by which you know now the world is going to be introduced to to me and my thoughts and my ministry you know I'm primarily to feed that flock and, and and that's my you know so I think that by spending that time building that collateral and that way if you if you are gone for you know maybe a ministry it takes you overseas for a week or two that the flock's not thinking, well, he's he's not coming back, or he's not content here. That you've you've demonstrated your love, you've demonstrated your loyalty, you've demonstrated your commitment uh, to that flock, and I think that hopefully, again, and you can even you know say that. Look, I, I give the statistics show I am here ninety percent of the time, or I'm here eighty eight, yeah. you know, whatever whatever it is. I know it feels like I, I'm gone. It may feel like I'm gone a lot. I'm really not. Uh, I am, uh, my, and my track record has been that this is this is my calling. This is my primary sense. If all the other stuff dries up, I'm going to be here. Yeah. I'm not going to do this at your expense. I'm going to make sure you're fed, that you're taken care of, that the pulpit's filled, that there's somebody here to shepherd you and watch over you. I'm going to make sure all of that is done because you're my top priority. I think that's important for them and for you. I think your your example, your church, and your example too. You've been there thirty plus years, so. When you were gone a lot earlier this year, maybe maybe more than ever, just yeah. the way things fell, is is hey, you're not coming back, and the church is not like threatening to fire you. Right? Why is that? Well, be, well, because you've spent thirty years caring for them. Well, mm-hmm. they love you, they miss you, they want you back, but they also recognize that these other things are part of your ministry. These are right. things that God's called you to, and that you're investing in these other things that ultimately build the kingdom around the world, and they're able to give you a way to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, and it involves, it's not just my ministry, it's the church's ministry, you know. So, yeah, I they're mean, a part yeah, of it. Right, they're a part of that. Absolutely. So, yeah. so Zambia is on the radar of our church in a way that it's not at, at another church, yeah. or uh, Cuba is on their mind now in a way, or and Ecuador is going to be, or this little place called Belang in in in, uh, in the northeastern part of of, of Brazil is yeah. Yeah. in a way that wouldn't have been. There's a church that we know and pray for in Singapore or that we pray for regularly in SeaTac, and that feels like that's part of our church's ministry, our church's giving, and, and that it's not just I represent the church. 
Uh, and so, you know, quite often, even as I go there, you know, I begin by saying, I bring you greetings from the Reformed Baptist yeah. Church of Louisville and from our, uh, our elders and from our deacons and from the flock there. Uh, they pray for you. They know who you are. They're praying for this time. They've yeah. invested resources in this, and they're happy to allow me to come and, and do this for these days or weeks. A, a good example of that, too, is, I don't know, it's probably been, what, 10 years now, but you invited me to go to Zambia with you. Yeah. To for us to we taught for a week on preaching at the Copper Belt uh, Ministerial uh, College. College and but like your church you invited me to go uh, your church had been invested there for many years already your your church paid my way to go mm-hmm. and serve I mean it just it showed you know one I was blessed to have that opportunity but I wouldn't have had it if one you hadn't invited me two your church paid for me to be able to go and invest because they were invested there and right. and so I think it's important to look for these ministry opportunities that does pull your church into the ministry sites. It's not just you going out. It's find a way. If you're the pastor of this church and then you go out and do things, they're being a part of that with you. And if you strategically yeah. figure out how to involve your church, then, then everybody feels a part of that, and it's, and it's about the whole church being involved. Yeah, and those things happened, Brian, for us, I think for, for both of us and what we're talking about. Again, I don't know this. Maybe we can riff off on this here a little bit. But it happened for us rather organically, naturally, providentially, relationally. Um, we, we did not look for doors. Right. And doors open for us. Yep. Is it right? Would you ever encourage a guy who maybe you think has some gifts like, and he says, well, nothing's opening up. Nobody's asking me. And you say, well, then find a door or kick a door open. You know what I mean by that? To say, I, you know, is it, is it right to say, well, go find one then? I uh, do. I, I do think that there's times to do that. So um, now that's why, I wanna, that's why I wanted to start this conversation yeah. with putting the parameters up. Because if you're, if you're 30 and you're two years into your first local church yeah. ministry, I don't believe you need to be walking around trying to kick doors open right. to do ministry outside your church. You need to learn. You need to pour in. Like what you have to offer another ministry is going to come out of the things you learn by just being in ministry a certain amount of years yeah. in that local church. So, uh, I think. So, I think in those kind of circumstances, I would not encourage somebody to kick down the doors. But here's one of the things we're you know we're dealing with at Practical Shepherding here. That's the, a 50 year old pastor who reaches out to us, who's been faithful in ministry for the last 20 years, right? At a small rural church, been faithful. The Lord's b- brought fruit, but like. Yeah. Nobody else besides that church knows he's laboring there. Right. And we meet him and get to know him, and we maybe even helped him at some point. And he's coming to us after, at 50 years old, his kids are grown, he's 20 years into the ministry. He's like, uh, I have a heart to want to love and encourage pastors. I have no outlet for that. Mm. And they come to us. Is there a way we could be help? We could, we could come and help this ministry, mm. which in certain cases, we bring guys in because we're looking for guys to help us in that way. So that's a door trying to, you know, that's pursuing to, I have a gift, I have a passion, desire to want to help in this way. I have no opportunities, but I feel like I have something to offer. Here's another thing that happens to us is guys aren't trying to kick doors open. Uh, They actually don't realize they have something to offer uh, another ministry like that. And so, you know, I think there's tons of scenarios around that, but it, it usually comes later in your ministry that I think you can step into some of those things. If you have... Little kids at home usually accompanies being a young pastor and is in one of the first couple of posts. I think you also have to be mindful of taking on other responsibilities. That's going to maybe take you away from your family, who's got who's mm. got little kids at home. I mean, right. I think that's that's why in the early years of ministry, 
to stay folk more focused, knowing what your priorities are, knowing it's not going to stay this way forever. And then later in your ministry is where you can be the most beneficial, I think, to serve right. somebody else. So last few minutes, let's talk about... So, Jim, what kind of advice would you give to a pastor who has been serving for several years, he has a heart to want to help other ministries, uh, maybe getting some opportunities, maybe he's being asked to serve on this community board in some way, mm. or you know, uh, they're asking him to do this men's comp- retreat at the church or whatever. St- things are starting to come to him in this way. How? What kind of advice would you give to a pastor as these opportunities start to come and he's trying to sort through, is, is now the time for me to engage with this? Is now not the time? What kind of advice would you give? Yeah, I think you need to be able to plan ahead. And, and by that, I mean, say to yourself, okay, as these opportunities are coming my way, and let's say you're planning your schedule for 2024, as some of us are. So I, I, I got an email the other day about, so I'm starting to think through, all right, I'm supposed to teach here. I'm supposed to teach there. I, I know I'm going to be gone this weekend. I've already committed to this conference, uh, et cetera. So I'm already looking at it and, and are, you know, maybe to some degree beginning to feel a bit overwhelmed and like feeling like, oh, yeah. 2024 is already, already filling up. So what you need to be able to do is to, I think, make a commitment to the church and, and, and like what I did with my elders and where we said, listen, I, I, I can take, and this is what we agreed upon, six weekends away a year. That's without counsel. That is, I can just decide, yeah, I can say yes or no to it. Beyond that, I have to take it to the elders and say, look, I've already committed. I've already been gone four or five times this year. This is going to mean an additional two or three weeks away. Our Lord's Day is away. I think it's either strategic, I think it's important, or again, they're going to say, I think in light of what's going on, you need to stay here. Yeah. So I think you need to seek counsel. I think you need to plan. Don't don't just do it, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. Maybe commit yourself to say, I can be gone four Sundays a, mo- a year or whatever it is, five Sundays a year. And if, and if, and if the opportunities exceed that, I, I can have the ability to say no. And so if you have fellow elders, that helps. If you have a wife that holds you accountable. But I think you need to present to the church and to say, listen, the Lord's opening some doors. You know, I love you. I'm committed to you. But I am going to be gone here, here, and here. Yep. This is my maybe even present at the beginning of the year. This is my calendar for the coming year. And just know I'm going to be gone uh, for those times. But I think that's that's a way of being ahead of it yeah. and and having your hands on it rather than it, it getting out of hand. Yeah, that's good. You hit several things I was thinking about too. I, I would just reiterate the the idea of planning ahead and getting your leaders to to agree with you. I can be gone this much, and I'm you know I'm going to plan to preach this many Sundays this year. And that's what I used to do with my elders. We we determined at the beginning of the year you know, how many Sundays should I be here preaching? And then I would plan my schedule around that because that was my priority. Yeah. And so I think planning ahead with leaders is a good way to do that. A couple other pieces of advice I would say. Number one is you you have to know yourself. Do you have the ability to say no and to say no to good ministry? Right. So I, where I see guys hung up, I only know this because I lived a long time. I lived a lot of my ministry life not knowing how to say no. Right. So I learned this really the hard way. Right. Uh, but if a lot of guys don't know how to say no to good ministry, like, well, I got, of course I got to do that. It's a great opportunity. Right. You ha- you cannot make wise decisions around this until you come to a place where you know you could say no to something that would be right. good ministry. So that's got to be a conscience check on your own, on your own part. It's got to be a gut check. Uh, if you can say no to good ministry, I think you'll have clarity around what to say no to, what to say yes to. If you don't know how to do that, you won't actually have clarity around that. So that's that's one thing. The second thing I would say is um, be mindful of 
what season of life your family's in. Uh, I I found I, I I've grown strongly to believe that if you have little kids at home, um, be really cautious about how you eat up your time with ministry stuff that takes you away from either your church or your family. Um, that was and that dreams close to home for me. I imploded my family at a time because I I was well, I was gone. I was traveling too much. While they were in this state, so this is this is coming out of yeah. so deep place of wound for me. But I I see a lot of guys threatening it, and it, I give the same advice. If you have little kids at home this season. It I know it feels like it's never going to end. It ends, and it ends quicker than you think. So you know, give yourself. One of the ways I'll do this is guys will come to me usually in this place of trying to sort through how do I make decisions around this, and I'll I'll look at them and I'll say, okay, you have three kids, you know, twelve, ten, and eight. And, and I, one of the ways I'll, I'll try to help them think through it is, so what if I told you that inside the next 10 years, your last child will graduate high school and be out of the house? Mm-hmm. What if I told you that was going to happen? H- how will you make decisions now knowing what the next t- that you only have 10 years? Right. That sounds like a long time, but in 10 years, they're all gone. Right. Would you make decisions differently when you start to think about that? Because I know very few people who have a ten year, a twelve, ten year old, and an eight year old who are thinking about? They're just about. They're just trying to figure out how to survive the teen years they're about to go into. They're not think. I, I wasn't thinking that way. And it's interesting. Every guy I've talked to like that, it changes the way they start to make those mm. decisions. So, be mindful of what season your family's in. And if you've got preteens, you got teenagers. Uh, man, th- you really need to be around for those years. Uh, if your kids are little, you need to be around. For those yeah. years, for the sake of your wife surviving right. them, of all things. Right. 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 So I would say that's a big deal. Know your family, uh, and if know your family season, and if the Lord, if the Lord's given you opportunities now, it's okay to let go of them, trusting God will provide them for you. Eight years, ten years down the road, when you're maybe at a better place to be able to divide your time around that. So we need to wrap. Any final thought on this, Jim, as far as advice for guys? Yeah, I think again, Brian, it's trusting the Lord with this. I think the desire to be useful outside of your congregation is a good desire. I think particularly if you recognize and realize that with some years that God's taught you some things, that's part of what I've had to come to recognize. I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s now and to think, well, if nothing else, I've been around a long time. I hope I don't have a hyperinflated view of myself, but I recognize I have something to offer because I've, you know, I've just been a, been alive long enough. And I've had great mentors in the past. I remember a lot of what they said to me, and I'm able to pass it on in a way that's helpful. Yeah. I hope that that's not arrogant. I hope that it's just it's a recognition of the time and place. But it takes a while to get there, yeah. and 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 to realize, okay, I, I think I have a that you have a stewardship and a responsibility to pour in uh, the more that's been poured into you. I'm going to piggyback on what you just said to reiterate it. I think, and this is why I would advocate for guys in their maybe mid to late forties, fifties, sixties. If you are able to, if you're able to beat the odds and continue in ministry that long, first of all, you have something really valuable to give, not just to your local church in those years, but to other places of where the Lord is at work that maybe not in your local church, yeah. you have opportunities. So that's why I want to encourage this is for the same reason you just said. You are right. Most men I know in that place who've got 10, 15, 20 years of ministry logged, they got something to offer to help yeah. these, these other ministries need you 
to help with that, whether mm-hmm. it's denominational work you have within your own denomination or whether it's yeah. just ministries that are inviting you to be a part of something, I w- prayerfully consider being a part of that. You you have something to offer, not just your local church, but other places, but make sure you're in a season of life where you can do it. So, Jim, we take a minute and pray yeah. for wisdom around that. Yeah, certainly. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the the local church. Thank you, Father, for the rich privilege of serving in it. Uh, Father, this is... Uh, we believe in your eyes it's significant and we recognize lord that we can find contentment in that calling but lord if you are opening doors of opportunity for us uh, for those who are listening to this uh, help them to be wise help them to seek counsel uh, and father pray that you'd use us in whatever way that you desire for the furtherance of of the spread of the fame and glory of the lord jesus we ask these things in his precious name amen Amen.